Oh, my word. I miss Michael Scott. Any Office fans in the house? Okay, a couple of you. Yeah, that's, it's incredible. And this is nothing to do with what we're talking about today. If you never like got into The Office, you're like, oh, I just really like that show. Or, you know, I don't really watch TV. Okay, I have homework for you. And again, nothing to do with what we're talking about. You just need to go home today, plant your butt on the couch, turn on Netflix, and binge watch The Office. And if you're not into it, like four episodes in, just don't come back, okay? Everybody questions your sense of humor. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, as we were planning this service, we were trying to think, you know, okay, really, you know, we're talking a little bit today about leadership. Okay, who are some of the greatest leaders that we've had through the course of history? And naturally, Michael Scott came to mind. Uh, but as you can see, obviously, in those clips, uh, he was actually a really terrible leader and a terrible boss. Um, it made him an incredibly funny TV character, but not actually a great leader. He insulted him, his employees. He typically, like, help people not get their job done. Uh, He wasn't particularly good at his job. I mean, there's a list of why he wasn't a particularly good boss and a great leader. Um, But as I was planning this, and particularly this talk, uh, I was trying to think through, okay, who are some great leaders that I've had in my life? And uh, the first guy that jumped to mind was my first boss out of college. I've shared this before. Uh, I started uh, right out of college. I worked at a camp and retreat center down in Ohio called Beulah Beach as the programs director and guest services director down there. And uh, my direct superior was a guy by the name of Jeremy Krause. And uh, one of the things I, I, I took notice of almost immediately with Jeremy uh, was just how smart he was. Uh, He he just had everything, it seemed like, in his life figured out. So smart with his finances, with his family, with his job across the board. And I remember thinking very early on, why does he work here? I know he does not make very much money. And here he is working at this little camp down in Vermilion, Ohio. I mean, who wants to go to Ohio? And I I was just sitting there like, why does he he work here? And as it turns out, he actually did start his job in uh, in, uh, his career in corporate America Uh, And after working there for a number of years, he felt this call that God was telling him to, hey, go be the operations guy at this camp. And and he's been there ever since. He's this longest tenured employee. And I mean, again, just so intelligent. And you're just kind of like, I don't know why you work here, but it's so cool to see a guy that was so faithful to wherever God was calling him to go. Now, the reason that I would say he was a great leader is because uh, Jeremy was always willing to put the needs of other people ahead of his own. O- oftentimes in the middle of summer, uh, it's going 90 miles an hour for any of you that have ever been at a camp or worked at a camp. It's just chaos in the summer. Every single day, there's thousands and thousands of people on the grounds and it always seems like there's problems. And I would go into Jeremy's often, especially that first summer uh, that I was working there and he wouldn't be there a lot of the time. I'd be like, dang it, Jeremy, I have a question for you. Only you can answer And I'd call him on his phone. He wouldn't answer. And so I'd jump on a golf cart and I'd go around hunting for Jeremy. And eventually I- I'd-, I'd usually find him fairly quickly. And and there was all these times where I'd like come over the bluff and the camp sat right on Lake Erie. It was this beautiful piece of property. And he'd be down in the water in his khakis and in this dress shirt, like up to his waist. And he'd be like untangling something from a boat prop so that kids could continue tubing. Or there'd be all these times where I'd come over the bluff. I always check the beach first because that seems like where things would always break first. And there'd be a jet ski pulled up on shore and there would be Jeremy with like the cover off of it trying to fix something because all jet skis do is break, right? Any of you that have owned a jet ski, they just perpetually break down. And he'd be down there trying to fix it. Or I'd go into a building and he'd be in there trying to fix the Wi-Fi. And I'd even call him out for it sometimes. I'd be like, Jeremy, we have people to do these jobs. We have an IT guy. We have people on maintenance staff. And he'd be quick to look at me and be like, Shay, you know what we're doing here. The list of jobs is is far greater than the number of people. And if I don't do this stuff, it's going to wait and it's going to sit on the shelf. So I need to help. Again, there was no job that was beneath him. He was always willing to put the needs of other people ahead of his own. He was truly a servant. And that is why he was such a great, great leader. Uh, Hold on to that thought. We're going to come back to it in just a second. Uh, We're continuing, if you haven't figured it out, in this series this morning called Follow. It is the never-ending series. Uh, In fact, today we are in part seven of eight. Uh, And the premise for this series is really, really simple. 
Jesus extends a very simple invitation to every single person that's sitting here today, and that's just to begin following him. And we figured out over the first six weeks of this series that it's okay if you have doubts, it's okay if you have questions, it's okay if you're not even totally sure that Jesus was divine, it's okay if you don't feel like you agree with everything that was written in the Bible, Jesus would still look at you and say, hey, why don't you begin following me? Last week, if you weren't here, I gave everyone a very simple challenge, but one that I think could have pretty profound implications on our lives, and that was this, to begin praying this every single morning. Heavenly Father, I want to want what you want more than what I want. I truly want what you want for my life more than what I want. If I'm honest, I don't actually like want that, but I want to. And the reason that you would pray that, regardless of where you find yourself in this whole faith journey, is because you recognize that God's plan is really better than our plan. God's will is greater than our will. It's one of the greatest parts about following Jesus, about following God, about being a Jesus follower, is that God doesn't arbitrarily ask us to follow him because it just sounds like the right thing to do. He, he doesn't ask us to follow him because he just wants control and he needs us you know, to do his bidding. It is so much better than that. He, he wants you to follow him because believe it or not, he is for you. He has your best interest in mind. He has the ability to appear in the future. And he's like, if you would just do this stuff, if you just follow me, if you just do this stuff that I lay out in scripture, in particular the New Testament, if you just follow the teachings of Jesus, your life would be so much better for it. It would be so much more fulfilling. There'd be so much more joy. There would be so much more purpose. He truly has our best interest in mind. And so if you have not been here for every single week of this series, I can't encourage you enough to please go to grumlaw.com, click on recent messages and catch yourself up there. We've been challenging you throughout this series to stick with us for this entire series. And if for some reason you can't be here, make sure you're going online, you're listening there. You can also find us under Grumlaw Church wherever it is that you grab your podcasts. Now, as we move on here today, uh, when you hear that phrase, follow Jesus, th there's an assumption there that we haven't quite addressed yet, and I'm excited to kind of tackle it this morning. It's this, that, that if Jesus is someone worth following, then he must be a pretty great leader. And unfortunately, for a lot of us, when we think about leadership and we think about great leaders through the course of history, generally speaking, religious people don't jump to mind, right? Because leadership is all about progression. Leadership's all about moving forward, and oftentimes... Religious people are all about the past and what once was. Really, a lot of times, religious people can be opposed to changing anything. And so today, as we tackle the subject of leadership, my hope is that by the end of this talk, like tomorrow morning comes and you're like looking for ways to somehow sneak it to your boss. And you're just like, if they would listen to this, it would make my life better and their life better. Or maybe you're sitting here today and you are the boss. And that's incredible news because again, if you take and you apply this stuff that we're talking about this morning, you will absolutely be a better leader as a result. Now, there could be the, the temptation if you're sitting here today and you're not the boss to just kind of like zone out and think, okay, this is going to be an enormous waste of time. But whether you believe it or not, whether you recognize it or not, every single one of you, you are a leader in some area of your life. And you're gonna be continuing to be given opportunities to lead throughout the course of your life. And the example that we're gonna be speaking about this morning, if you would take this and you would apply it to wherever it is that you have authority, you will absolutely be a better leader as a result. Now, I know that that sounds like super motivational speechy, like you're at like a Tony Robbins conference or something, but I'm confident that by the end of this, you'll actually agree with me on that. Now, 
I mentioned Jeremy, my former boss. He was a servant leader. He always put the needs of other people ahead of his own. He was a great teacher. He he was one of those guys that wouldn't just do it really quick because like you were struggling, but he'd actually sit down with you and take the time to actually teach you how to do it the right way. Uh, Incredible, incredible leader. Uh, And the reason he was such a great leader, again, was because he modeled the greatest leader of all time, who is, of course, Jesus. Now, again, I know that that sounds like insanely churchy, and you might be thinking, well, you have to think that because you are a pastor. But let's just think about this logically from a business standpoint. Jesus only took about three years to build his brand. It was only about a three-year period that he was traveling around with his disciples and performing miracles. Uh, It was only a three-year period where he's going around and kind of teaching what we now refer to as, as Christianity. But yet here we are, thousands of years later, halfway across the globe, and we're still talking about him. Conservative numbers would say that there's at least 300,000 Christian churches across the globe. 2.2 billion people, with a B, would say that they are Christian. That comprises roughly 31% of the Earth's population. Numerically speaking, Christianity is in far and away the most popular religion on the planet. And, And that's crazy when we think that Jesus never traveled more than 35 miles from the place that he was born But yet again, here we are thousands of years later and we're still talking about him and people are still following him. He's withstood the test of time like nobody else in the history of the world. Jesus was constantly forward thinking. He was so progressive. He challenged the the normative and the accepted ways of thinking and there's no chance that we would be talking about him today if he was not an incredibly gifted leader. Jesus modeled a unique approach to leadership, a unique way as to how He used his authority, and then as followers of him, he asks us to do the same. Now, this morning, as we touch a little bit on this, uh, if you're sitting here today and you're new to this whole church thing, you wouldn't call yourself a Jesus follower, you don't even know why you're here, somebody might have bribed you, and you're just like, I I can't wait to get out of here. Here's the good part. You get to pick and choose with what I'm talking about today. You don't have to apply this stuff. It's totally up to you. However, if you're sitting here today and you call yourself a Jesus follower, you call yourself a Christian, this isn't an option. This is how Jesus commands you to lead. This is how Jesus commands you to exercise your authority when you have the opportunity to exercise that authority. It's not a like, do it if you feel like it. He's like, hey, if you are gonna be one of my followers and not just a consumer, this is how you are to lead when you have that type of authority. Whether that's with your family, your professional life, at your school, with your group of friends, wherever it is that you have that opportunity to lead. And so what we're gonna do today is we're gonna jump into a passage of scripture, much like we've done throughout this series. We're gonna find this in the book of Mark chapter 10. Mark is the second book of the New Testament which is kind of like the second half of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We often call those the gospel books or the good news. And we call them that because those four books document Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, okay? So we're gonna jump into Mark, the second one there, uh, in chapter 10. And I want you to keep in mind that all we're doing this morning is listening in on a conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples, his 12 best friends, the guys that he spent the absolute most amount of time with when he was on earth, okay? So we're ready to eavesdrop on Jesus and his disciples. Here we go. It says, again, he, and he being Jesus, took the 12, his 12 disciples aside, and he told them what was going to happen to him. And we've seen this in previous weeks, right? He starts to kind of paint this picture of doom and gloom. Things aren't always gonna go so well. We're gonna go up to Jerusalem, he said, and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles or the Romans who will mock him 
and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Now again, if you've been here in previous weeks, Jesus would keep doing this. He'd keep alluding to the fact that, hey, things aren't going to always go so smooth because at this point in history, Jesus and his disciples and his followers are incredibly popular. Everywhere they went, everybody wanted to be around them. I mean, they had like a 100% approval rating. People wanted to be near Jesus and the disciples, but he's quick to tell them, hey, it's not always going to be like this. It's not always going to be smooth sailing. Eventually, we're gonna hit some bumps in the road. And in fact, right now, when we go up to Jerusalem, that's gonna be kind of the start of all of this. It's not going to be good for me because I'm gonna be spit on and I'm gonna be arrested and I'm gonna be killed. And you have to picture that this is kind of like an intimate moment that Jesus is having with his disciples. I mean, he's pouring his heart out. He's telling these guys, hey, listen, like, this is gonna go badly for me. And you have to imagine like, the disciples sitting there like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is gonna happen to my Lord, to my Savior, right? To my best friend. Like, like, again, just this emotional, emotional moment. Then, as in like right afterwards, as in like emotional moment, then, next thing that happened, James and John, who were two of the disciples, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask and it's like, wait, what? How insensitive is that? It's like, again, Jesus pouring his heart out, and then James and John say, oh yeah, hey, sorry about all that killing and getting spit on and stuff, but hey, will you do us a favor? Hey, hey, Jesus, will you do something for us? I mean, yeah, that all sounds terrible, and ugh, you know, hopefully it doesn't happen, but hey, will, will you help us out a little bit? Will you do for us whatever we ask? Parents, we all can relate to these moments, right? Every like most nights, I, I put my daughter to bed. I like look forward to it. She's you know just over two years old, and you know she talks a mile a minute, but you know she doesn't always say back to you like what you want her to say back to you. And so usually, you know, I, I take her into a room and I still hold her like she's like an infant and like this, and she kind of still digs it. So I'm holding on to that as long as I can, you know. And so I'll be sitting there and I'll pray for her. You know, we say our prayers together, and then I'll be holding her for as long until she gets all squirmy. And then it always ends with this moment where I hold her up in front of me. And I'm like, want to make sure that she sees me and she understands this. I'm like, Logan, I love you. so so much. Dada loves you so much. And I can't wait for the moment where Logan looks back at me and says, Dada, I love you too. And the other day, I thought I had it. She looked at me and she said, Dada. And I was like, oh my gosh, here it comes. I toot. I'm like, it's great. It's exactly what I was looking for. Good night. You know, I kind of drop her in the crib, right? But that's exactly what's happening here with Jesus. Again, he's like pouring his heart out to the disciples. And then here come James and John and like, hey, will you do us a favor? And then Jesus replies and he doesn't berate them and tell them that they're fools and they're really inconsiderate, but he says, what do you want me to do for you? And they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. It's like, this is what you were thinking about when I was just telling you all these terrible things that were gonna happen to me? You wanna sit on my right and, and the other at your left in, in your glory? Like, are, are you serious? Like, where did this come from? Because as we talked about last week, the, the Jewish narrative for this whole Messiah thing, they, they, the Messiah is the anointed one, the one that God would send, and all the disciples were convinced that that is who Jesus was. But the Jewish narrative went something along the lines of like, hey, he was gonna be like this great military leader and eventually was gonna throw over the Roman government, was gonna sit on the throne at, at Rome as, as king over essentially the entire world, right? Because at that point, Rome was you know, the, the most powerful kingdom throughout the entire world. And so they're still hoping that Jesus kind of flips the script on this whole being a nice guy thing, 
right? And they think, okay, if he does, at that point, we want some power. At that point, we, we want some authority. And so, Jesus, we know that you're gonna be like the king. You'll be the number one guy, but we wanna be like just a notch beneath you. We wanna be on your left and we wanna be on your right. We know that you'll have like the, the nice penthouse suite, but, but we want like the corner offices with the nice view, Jesus. So, yeah, we, we, we know we can't be you, but we wanna be just like a notch beneath you. And again, that they show zero interest in the fact that Jesus, again, just poured his heart out to him and told him, hey, I'm going to be arrested and spit on and, and killed. They're interested only well in, in themselves and their own well-being because after all, they are people. Now, Jesus, in, in a tender way and in only a way that, that Jesus would have done, very tenderly explains to them, hey, you guys don't even understand what you're asking for. If I gave you that type of responsibility, that there's no way you would even be able to handle it. And as Jesus is going on and explaining this to James and John, the other 10 disciples start leaning in. And they put together what James and John have asked Jesus. And as you might expect, they are furious. In fact, it says, when the 10 heard about this, the other 10 disciples, they became indignant with James and John. Now, we would think that they got mad at James and John because they were being so insensitive, because they asked such a ridiculous question, right? No, wrong. They are like James and John. They're ticked off that they got left out. They're mad that James and John beat them to the punch. They're mad because they want to be on the left and they want to be on the right. And so now this big argument breaks out among all 12 disciples and they're arguing about who should be on the left and who should be on the right. And here's Jesus over in the corner going, oh my word, I have the worst friends ever, right? And they're going at it and they're arguing. Jesus lets them go at it for a little bit, but then he goes, okay, woo, 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 stop. Stop, stop, stop. Hey, James, John, relax. Sit down. Everybody sit, sit. You guys treat you like kids. Sit down. I need to explain something to you. And right here, what we're about to read, he explains what leadership looks like in the kingdom of God. He says, hey, if you're gonna be one of my followers and not just a consumer, here is what leadership looks like. Here is how you are to exercise authority. And he's saying it to the disciples, but he's also saying it to every single one of us who would identify as a Christian, who would identify as a Jesus follower. He says this, Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, to which all the disciples would have started nodding their heads and going, exactly, Jesus, that is precisely why we want to be on your left and why we want to be on your right. We want people available to do our bidding. We want people available you know, that, that for our pleasure to do what we ask them to do. We don't want to be down there with the rest of the people having orders barked at us. We want to be up there with you barking orders at people. Jesus, you don't have to explain to us how authority works. We get it. We want to leverage our authority for the benefit of us. We want people to serve us. We get it. And Jesus says, okay, it seems like you have a good grasp on authority. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we get it. And he goes, okay, not so with you. We all get authority, right? We understand how authority and being the boss, we know what that looks like. And again, if you're sitting here today and you call yourself a Jesus follower, he's looking at you going, not so with you. If you call yourself a Jesus follower, you have to lead. It's not an option. You have to lead like Jesus led. You have to lead like, as we're gonna see right here, how Jesus lays this all out. So he says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great, and great in this context means lead, rule, have authority. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. That's different. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. To which the disciples would again look at, at each other and went, well, that's not going to work. How's anybody going to get anything done? This seems like the complete 
opposite of everything that we have ever learned and been taught about leadership and being the boss. And some of you right now, you probably already know what's kind of coming next and you're maybe rolling your eyes thinking, okay, don't ask me to do this because that might work in your cute little church world. It's like four or five people, but in the real world, particularly in the business world, this just wouldn't work, right? It would be ridiculous for me to ask you to lead like this in your place of work, in your home, in your school, at your job. But if you sit here today and you call yourself a Jesus follower, which means that you don't just follow Jesus on Sunday mornings, but every day of the week in every area of your life, then this is exactly what Jesus is not just asking, but commanding you to do. This is how we are to lead. It is our responsibility to exercise our authority in this way. Now, some of you, you might actually be a part of an organization where your boss leads like this, and maybe you're putting it together for the first time. You're like, my boss is kind of like Jesus-like, and I don't even think they like Jesus, but it seems like they kind of lead this way. And you can attest to how incredible of an environment that is and what a great leadership style this is. But unfortunately for most of you, your your boss probably falls more under like the lord it over us type category because it's not necessarily intuitive. Human nature, as we've already discussed in this series, is, is selfish. Human nature tells us to look out for ourselves and this is how most bosses or most people in authority positions lead, right? The boss is kind of at the top, right? You know, look at it like under a pyramid. We have the boss at the top, right? And if the boss is only looking out for him or herself, right? They have, might like, have four or five or six direct reports to them. Well, what are those people doing? They're only looking out for themselves because they know that their boss doesn't have their back. And then they have like 20 people underneath them and they're like, well, those people ain't looking out for me, so I better look out for me and so on and so forth. And in turn, it creates an entire culture where everybody is only looking out for themselves because it all started with the boss. But Jesus models something much different. And by the way, he's not telling us to be inefficient. He's not telling us to be unproductive. He's not telling us to be passive and just become human doormats for people. No, here's what Jesus teaches. We are to leverage our authority for the benefit of those under our authority. Leverage your authority for the benefit of those under your authority, whether that's at home, at work, at school, with friends, in the community, wherever it is that you find yourself having that authority. And again, if you've ever been a part of an environment like this, you know how much healthier it is. You know how much more positive it is. But it's not all about good feelings and making sure that everybody just feels good about themselves. In these type environments, it's actually far more productive. It's far more efficient. Rather than everyone looking out for themselves, everyone in turn actually looks out for each other. We focus on others and everyone, including the greater organization as a whole, benefits. This isn't just a church thing. This applies in your home, in your community, and most certainly in the business world as well. Some of you don't know this. Prior to me stepping into this position and being a pastor and starting a church, I I worked in medical sales for about five years. I started my career with a company called Smith & Nephew, which is a big orthopedic company and call on basically anybody that dealt with broken bones. And um, when I first got hired, I I didn't realize the guy that hired me, like the risk he was really taking. But as I shared with you, right out of college, I worked as a program director at a camp. And that was really all that was on my resume, program director at a camp. And I had a degree in ministry. But yet, this guy named Phil Stead hired me. I don't know what he was thinking, but he evidently saw something in me that I didn't even see in myself. Now, when I first started with this company, Phil was extraordinary. I, I would call him pretty much every day with this laundry list of questions because I had no idea what I was doing. And the question that he would ask me daily, it wasn't every once in a while, literally every day, he would say, Shay, what could I take off your plate? 
What can I take off your plate? And he meant it. It didn't matter how trivial or how big the task was. There were times when I would have him do my expense reports. And this company had the most archaic expense reporting system. Some of you, if you're in sales, maybe you can relate to this. We had to tape our receipts to an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper and then fax them in. And I'd be like, okay, Phil, I know this is going to sound ridiculous, but this thing's really piling up. If I mail you, if I FedEx my receipts and stuff, will you like send this stuff? And he's like, great, I'll do it. He was always asking, what can I take off your plate? How can I facilitate your success? Now, it's not surprising that under his leadership, uh, our team, our region, the Michigan team, we actually became the number one selling region in the entire country, which from a corporate standpoint was a bit of a head scratcher that Michigan wasn't really known as this great orthopedic market, but we were killing it. And it had a lot to do with the fact that Phil was such a good leader. So naturally, he eventually gets promoted, right? And in comes this new guy. And we figured out very quickly how good we had it with Phil. Because this new guy was all about what can I do to benefit myself? In fact, he told us this. And if you're a boss, don't tell people this. It was so dumb. He told us, he said, hey, I'm only here because the last guy got promoted and I'm hoping to get promoted too. It's like, that's inspiring. I'm glad that you shared that information with us, right? And it was very, very evident in how he led across the board. One leader was constantly asking, what can I take off your plate? One person was always asking, what can I do to help? And the other person was asking, how can I advance myself in the company? One style of leadership involved a lot of looking over your shoulder and guarding your turf. And the other focused on a, I am here for you. How can I help you? Over the years, and my guess is that some of you have read these books, uh, there have been tons and tons of books written on leadership, right? In fact, if you went on the New York Times bestseller list right now, there's probably some book on there that focuses on leadership. And every couple years, one seems to really take off, and they always have really clever t titles, right? Like the seven traits and the five habits and the 13 characteristics, right? All these things that kind of grab your attention. I've read a lot of those books, and what I typically find, at least the ones that tend to do pretty well, that find themselves on that bestseller list, is that they're always ripping off Jesus, I'm serious. I read it and I'm like, they just reworded what Jesus told us like 2,000 years ago. Well, there's one book in particular that my guess is that actually a lot of you have read. It's called Good to Great, written by Jim Collins, incredible, incredible business mind. And in this particular book, he sets out to try to figure out, okay, is there a common characteristic? Is there some sort of common denominator among these great leaders who lead these very successful companies? I mean, is there something there? And he sets out and he starts doing the research and goes and asks the questions and tries to figure out, okay, is there a common denominator? And if there is, what is it? And he admits that at the beginning of his research that he thinks it's going to be charisma. And other people speculate maybe it would be great public speaking skills or maybe just sheer confidence. Well, he goes out and, and he hunts for this and he finds out that there is that common denominator. You know what he finds it to be? Any guesses? Humility. That's interesting, right? And it's not a theory he went out, he did the research, hundreds and hundreds of companies, and that was the common denominator, humility, to which Jesus would have probably said, I could have saved you a lot of time. <laughs> I told you that thousands of years ago. Great leaders are humble. They leverage their authority for the benefit of those under their authority. They more simply put, lead like Jesus led. Great leaders think, okay, I am here to facilitate your success regardless of where you show up on an organizational chart. Great leaders ask this question in one form or another, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? And not like hypothetically, they literally ask the question, what can I do to help? What can I take off your plate? This simple question can have such profound effects, a huge impact on wherever it is that you lead. This is going to be one of my challenges today, that all of you would begin asking this question every single day. 
at least one time, what can I do to help? Your life and the lives of those that you have the opportunity to lead over will absolutely be better for it. Because when you ask this question, here's what you're actually saying to someone. I would like to loan you me for you. I I would like to give myself to you for your benefit. It's not for my benefit, it's for your benefit. And it's so simple. But let's be honest, isn't this the gospel? Isn't this precisely what God did for us? He looked down into our broken world that we had messed up, we sinned. We're the ones that caused the rift, the disconnect with God. And he looked down and very simply said, what can I do to help? It'll have such a profound impact if you start asking this question daily. Now, some of you, you, you've been leading in such a way, whether that's in your house, like you know, some of you husbands, you go in and you ask your wife that question, or some of you, you go into your place of employment tomorrow and, and you ask that question, people are gonna like pass out. They're gonna be like, is this a joke? But it can have such a profound impact at your home, at your place of work, in your school, wherever it is that you have the opportunity to lead. Another principle that Jesus demonstrated time and time and time again, go ahead and put that up there. Leaders look for opportunities to do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And in fact, if you start reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John for yourself, and you read it with this like, thought in mind, you see Jesus doing this all the time. I never used to see this until I kind of like pulled this principle out, where there would be these times, right, where there would be just like seas of sick people and crippled people. And Jesus would like step over one guy and another guy and another guy and he'd heal one person and then he'd back his way back out. He looked for opportunities to do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Now in the spirit of this, I'm gonna brag on somebody right now. Uh, He goes by the name of Dave and Dave, get your butt up here. I'm gonna make you step up on the stage. Come on. You've maybe seen Dave around. Um, Dave, yeah, you can clap for Dave. Um, Dave is, is our liaison between us and Genesis. He's here every single Sunday at 6.30 a.m., even though our contract says seven, you still deal with it and get here at 6.30, um, and puts up with all of our last-minute needs, and this guy is such a servant. He's such a servant. He's never given us a lick of attitude. He's never given us a, hey, why the heck didn't you tell me this ahead of time? You could have given us a heads up. He's usually at my car unloading stuff out of my vehicle for the church. He doesn't have to do that. He only has to deal with chairs and staging and tables, right? But he will usually be there. Like, I mean, he'll go be there at the car at eight o'clock. He knows when I can pull up here and he'll help me unload stuff. And it's not like that at every place that rents. I mean, you would think that in facilities, they would do everything to cater to your needs. But I have been a part of, of some other churches where the relationship, it gets a little hostile. But because of this guy, it's been so easy. And I want to be here at Genesis for as long as we possibly can and for no other reason because I get to hang out with you for a little bit more. (laughs) And Dave, truly, man, we are so thankful for you and and the example that you have been. And so in the spirit of doing for one what we wish we could do for everyone, um, I've gotten to know you a little bit, right? We've shared and got to know families and that sort of thing. A bunch of your kids are here today. You have five kids. I mean, what are you, Mormon? Like natural family planning or something? (laughs) And so Dave works his butt off. He has this job and like two other jobs and he's usually working seven days a week and I know you're not getting enough time with your family and vacations. And so what we as a church wanna do for you is we are gonna send you and your crew, the whole family, to Cedar Point and the water park connected with Cedar Point. We're gonna pay for your travel, your tickets, your hotels, your food. You're not gonna spend a nickel, man. And it's a small way to say thank you. Appreciate you. I appreciate it, man. For sure, man. Not a problem. Thank you. Yeah. That's it. Well, I mean, maybe if you stay here long enough, I might give you some more stuff. That's all right. (laughs) Now, listen, there are 77 adults 
77, I got this number this last week, that serve on a team here regularly at Grumlaw. That's pretty crazy, right, for a church that's only four months old, and I'll still shameless plug here. We still need more people, but I would love to go to every single family that serves here and say, hey, here's a free vacation. But obviously, frankly, we just can't afford that. Don't worry about trying to be fair. Try to be involved. Try to be engaged. Set an example of service and humility to those around you. So again, the point this morning is really, really simple. Leverage your authority for the benefit of those under your authority. Humility always places others above ourselves. It always asks, what can I do to help you? What can I take off your plate? Followers of Jesus, and and we as Jesus followers of Christians have botched this up for too long. Followers of Jesus and Christians should be the most desirable, productive, efficient, focused people on the planet. Employers should be lining up to hire Jesus followers. Let's stop acknowledging him with our lips and dishonoring him with our actions. If we as Jesus followers, even if it was just this room here at Grumlaw, if we started to get this right, if Jesus followers actually lived this way, there would be like this little like box at the top of every application for a job that would say, are you a Christian? And employers would be dying and begging that that box would get marked yes. But living this way, leading this way, we know, right, this is easier said than done. Because this requires us to throw aside our egos, which isn't easy. As we've talked about again in this series, we're naturally wired to look out for ourselves, to leverage our authority for the benefit of me, right? But let's be a people where our actions actually speak louder than our words. Don't live and work for your glory because let's be honest, And if you're a Jesus follower, I'm going to ask a question right now, and I know it's going to sound super insensitive, and I don't mean it to offend people, but just really, like, again, if you're not a Jesus follower, you don't have to listen to this. Don't be offended by it. But if you're a Jesus follower, are you really worth living for? I mean, think about that. Are you worth living for? And I'll help you with the answer. It's no. And here's why I say that. Because two years after you die, nobody's going to remember you anymore. Five years after you die, your own family, you will just be a distant memory. And again, I know that that sounds so insensitive, but think about your grandparents, those people that have been gone for a pretty good chunk of time. Are you thinking about them every day? No. They're distant memories. They're they're every once in a while, oh yeah, remember when grandpa, oh yeah, remember when grandma. They just become kind of this black and white photo. But instead, and here's the good news, if you are a Jesus follower, you get to work and live for the glory of the one whose name is above all names, Jesus. And because he loves you so much, he invites you to follow him. His name has withstood the test of time. And he's looking at all of you today and he's begging you, just follow me. And when we have the opportunity to exercise authority, Jesus commands his followers to leverage that authority for the benefit of those under your authority. Because after all, isn't that what Jesus did? Mark wraps up this entire conversation between Jesus and his disciples by saying this. He says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And I don't know about you, but when I read pieces of scripture like this, when I think uh, about what Jesus has done for me personally, it suddenly becomes really, really difficult 
to come up with a single excuse as to why I wouldn't lead this way. Jesus not only commands us to lead this way, but he practiced what he preached to an extent that none of us will ever be able to fully appreciate. He didn't just tie a bow on it. He didn't just put an exclamation point on it. He did something that nobody else would have been willing to do. God looked down into our broken world and he said, what can I do to help? And fortunately for us, that help came in the form of his perfect son, Jesus, who paid the penalty for our mistakes, who died for our sins. God leveraged his authority for the benefit of you, for the benefit of me, for the benefit of all of us. And so, let's follow that example. No matter where you find yourself on this faith journey, follow that example, because guess what? You'll be better off, and your employees will be better off, and the company will be better off, and your family will be better off, and your friends will be better off, your marriage will be better off. Everybody wins when you lead this way. And so, as we wrap up this morning, here's my challenge for you today. Will you pause long enough today to implement this? Well, will you ask yourself, what does that look like in my context and actually apply it to your life? I mean, so many of you, and I don't mean again to point fingers, but you come here and you kind of get your weekly dose of conviction and then you walk back out and nothing changes. And I don't mean to begin to be blunt, but you're kind of wasting your time if that's the case. How are you to leverage your authority for the benefit of those under your authority? Again, very simply put, I can't begin to understand, no matter where you find yourself on this whole faith journey, why wouldn't you start asking that question every single day? What can I do to help? What can I do to help? What can I do to help? And watch how that transforms families and companies and relationships with friends. Some of you, and again, this is a shameless plug, I don't mind saying this, we need more help on teams. You've been coming here since week number one and and we're fine with you just kind of being an attender, but maybe God's been nudging on you a little bit and you need to serve on one of our teams. We still need help. We still have these people that tirelessly serve every single week. And guess what? They do it with a smile on their face. They're not asking for a break, but we'd like to give them a break. And that's only gonna happen if more of you get involved. Sign up for a team. Indicate that on your Connect card. Swing by Grumlaw Central. Email us. Let us know that you're ready to take that next step. You're not sacrificing every single weekend. Some of us, that, that, that's your next step. Others of you, you need to start doing for one what you wish you could do for everyone because those thoughts have popped into your head. I should... And then you talk yourself out of it. Ah, you require a little bit of money. It just wouldn't be fair. Start doing for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Meet the needs of other people. Leverage your authority for the benefit of those under your authority. Because after all, this is what great leaders do, whether they're Christian or not. And perhaps, if we get this right, we could change the perception of Christians simply because of our willingness to display this type of humility in our communities. Let me pray.